0: So thanks to Isuzu, and you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Here are four points to four-wheel drive you to work about this Eagles effort. Point one, watching Elijah Hewitt the last two weeks, I'm not convinced that Reuben Jinby will be the best player for West Coast out of the 2022 draft. Hewitt only had 11 disposals yesterday, but he kicked two goals, and his power and explosive play around stoppages and through traffic makes you think he could be something special. He's got a lot of work to do, but that second goal yesterday, the ground ball get through heavy traffic followed by the snap. You can't teach that. You can't train that. Players can either do that or they can't. Hewitt can do it. Point two, Tom Barris in that mood is as good as any power defender in the competition. We thought he might have been an All-Australian last year. He was unlucky. He missed out. He's been scratchy most of this year, but the 20 disposals and 14 marks – with a number of powerful spoils with the game on the line in the second half. That's the Tom Barris the Eagles need spearheading their defence. With the confidence he gives his players around him when he's back there and doing that, everyone else gets to be more assertive and it showed right across the field for the Eagles. Point three, great efforts by veterans Luke Shuey and Shannon Hearn yesterday, but to all those Eagles fans out there thinking that proves the people who think they might be in line to retire wrong, think again. Just as the challenge for young players is to not only show how well they can play, they must also show how often they can play well, the same applies to the oldies. Hearn and Shuey were superb, but this was Hearn's ninth game of the 15 games that the Eagles have played this year. It was Shuey's seventh match of the year. They have to stay out there, and they have to keep playing well to earn fresh deals next year. Point four, the bouquet here for West Coast was that this was a vastly improved effort and a glimpse into the future. The brick bat, just where the hell has this been for most of the year? There were a couple of ins, also a couple of outs. The big difference here was intent and effort. The Eagles have to bring that again next week in Brisbane, and we need to see it Clearly. Otherwise, next Monday, we're going to be talking about the same stuff we were talking about last Monday after the 171-point loss to Sydney. Eagles fans, what did you make of it? Could Hewitt be better than Jinby? Was this a turning point or just a bit of relief? Would you let Hern and Chewy go on after you what you saw yesterday? Give us your thoughts on the temperate bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. Call us on the open line Four points to four-wheel drive you to work on Frio, thanks to the Isuzu D-Max. And you can live your own way in the D-Max. Point one, their season is all but dead in the water. They've got eight games left. They need to win six of them, and the opposition includes away games to Collingwood and Geelong and home games against Brisbane, Carlton and Sydney. Based on the body of work we've seen from the Dockers so far this year, they are not a top eight team in 2023. They had everything on the line against the Dogs, and when it mattered in the final term, they couldn't get it done. There is more work to do here for Justin Longmuir and his team, and the Dockers need to make sure a good percentage of that work is done in the last two months of this season. And point two, six words that make them not a top eight team in 2023, not hard enough long enough. They were good enough to go with the Dogs for most of the four quarters on Saturday, but when the Dogs split them open, they split them open all of the way. Fremantle need to spend the rest of this season deepening their midfield rotation because when their A-team needed a rest on Saturday and the Dogs were able to put their own A-team against the Dockers' backups, the result was an irresistible surge which decided the game in about five minutes from three decisive centre-square clearances. By this time next year, the Dockers have to have made Matt Johnson, Neil Erasmus and others a regular part of their centre square clearances and they need to be able to feel they are losing nothing when those players are in there. Point three, Nathan Fife is in trouble and the two-year contract extension given to him a few weeks ago is looming as a bad deal. The Dockers need to stop trying to put a half-fit Fife out there and challenge the two-time Brownlow medalist uh, ...to get fully fit. And if he's not fully fit, he doesn't play. And the kid gloves need to come off with five in terms of his disposal. He either improves his kicking or he doesn't play. Whether his sore foot has played a rule in the way he's kicked the ball... ...in the last couple of games, I don't know. But he's gone from being not a great kick to being a substandard kick at AFL level. A couple of his turnovers on Saturday were basically excusable at, uh, inexcusable at this level of football... The Dockers have to challenge Fife to get fitter and better. Otherwise, they need to just accept that contract extension. The two-year deal he was given earlier this year is just a bad deal. And point four, well done to Liam Henry, putting together his second 30-plus possession game in as many weeks. To be clear, this was not a perfect game from Henry. His disposal wasn't consistently great, and he had a one-armed effort to pull in a slightly wayward Alex Pierce cross-ground kick, then missed the tackle on Bailey Williams, which cost a goal. But Henry is running to good spots, and that includes back into defense, and he's trying to be aggressive with the ball, taking it back inside the corridor when possible. Henry playing like this adds something to Fremantle, and hopefully he can keep it up until the end of the playing year, give him something to build on next year, wherever he is playing. Freo fans, give us your thoughts. 7 8 with a tough, tough draw ahead, can they play finals? Are you frustrated? What changes would you make? Again, the temper at bedshed text line is open to you. 0487 736 736. Or you can call us on the open line 13 12 55. First, thanks to Izuzu Utes, you can live your own way in the Izuzu D-Max. Here's a few thoughts to four-wheel drive you to work on Nathan Fife. He's been one of Fremantle's all-time greats, maybe the all-time great of the club. Matthew Pavlich and David Mundy were truly great players and had longer careers, but only one West Australian ever has won two Brownlow medals, and that is Nathan Fife. At the height of his powers in 2014 and 2015, and again in 2019, he was the competition's best player. Only Dustin Martin has been more likely to win a one-on-one over the duration of Fife's career. I'm not sure there has ever been a midfielder who played with more authority in the air. Paddy Dangerfield maybe, but not definitely. But now, Fife is compromised by a body that has borne the effects of 218 games of contested football and the bumps and bruises that come with it. More than half of Fife's possessions over those 218 games have been won in contest. The stress fracture in his left foot found by scans won't necessarily finish his career. They may not even finish his season. The Dockers plan to deload him and then see if they can get him going again. But the days of Fife being able to carry injuries and profoundly influence the outcome of games are gone. And he's done that in the past. If we remember back to his two Brownlow years in 2015 and 2019, at the back end of 2015, he carried a hot spot in his leg that eventually became a fracture. And in 2019, he carried a significant shoulder injury. He powered on in both those seasons to win Brownlow medals. He can't do it anymore. He has to be fully fit or he doesn't belong at the top level anymore. And the inevitable question that follows that is, Will Nathan Fife ever be fully fit again? Fife now has two years of contract to run from the end of this season. A contract lowered to less than $400,000 to enable the club to extend him out beyond this season. But that contract is starting to look like a leap of too much faith in a damaged body now. Shoulder, back, and hamstring issues restricted Fife to just seven games last year. The worry is that any one of those issues by themselves have the potential to be career-threatening, the shoulder in particular. And now he has a foot problem. The foot carries all of your body weight. It's not a great place for a footballer to have a fracture at 31. He's played nine games this year, including eight in a row, up to Saturday. At his best, he's been useful. In the two games, he has played clearly less than fully fit, in round one against St Kilda and on Saturday against the Western Bulldogs, he looks like he struggles to still belong at the level. Now, what does it mean for Fremantle? It means the Dockers have to move now to expand a midfield rotation that got caught at least one and probably two big bodies short and more than a few games of experienced light when the game against the Western Bulldogs went on the line in the last quarter at Marvel Stadium on Saturday. The best stoppage players Luke Beveridge had at his disposal went into the centre square after Fremantle had hit the front in the final term. With Fife on the bench and backup ruckman Luke Jackson not rucking, probably sore, I'm guessing, with Sean Darcy, Andy Brayshaw and Caleb Sarong needing rests, the Dockers got stuck with Matt Johnson and Neil Erasmus in the middle at the wrong time. It was literally the Freo Pups versus the Big Dogs. And the game was decided in a matter of a few minutes and a few centre clearances. Erasmus and Johnson have to keep playing now. The Dockers are a long shot to make this year's finals, needing to win six of their last eight. It's time to shorten the odds for next season. Get games into the 19-year-old Erasmus and the 20-year-old Johnson who represent the club's next generation of big bodied mids. What has happened to the Dockers in 2023 Clearly, the loss of Roy Lobb represents the loss of their 2022 leading goal, uh, goal kicker, but he's been replaced by Jaya Miss, who is on target to kick more goals this year than Lobb kicked last year. Blake Akers was good on a wing, but Liam Henry has been good there in the last three weeks and others have been serviceable in the weeks before that. Griffin Logue was Fremantle's everywhere man, but they have Luke Jackson, their everywhere ruckman. The miscalculation Freo probably made that will affect them in the short term is that they believe Jager O'Meara would be an ideal replacement for David Mundy and instead Omira became the replacement for Will Brodie. So instead of breaking even out of Mundy's retirement, the Dockers have lost. Brodie is playing in the waffle and there's no real evidence that he and Omira can coexist in the same midfield. Brodie played five games at the start of the season with O'Meara. The Dockers won one of them and lost four. It'll be interesting to see how the Dockers selectors view Brody with Fife absent now. Frio missed Mundy's poise with the ball, and his laser-like kicking inside, attacking 50. Jai Amis has kicked 29 goals this year. I wonder what he might have kicked, leading to Mundy's right foot. None of that means the Dockers were wrong to press Mundy into retirement. He was 37, and defending the ground was becoming difficult with him in the midfield last year. It might have been even more difficult this year but it does mean the Dockers have been caught in between midfield generations and sometimes with a mid middleweight midfield going against heavyweights. That's what happened when the game went on the line on Saturday. Fife's inability to completely reassert himself has been part of the problem. It is part of what makes Sean Darcy so vital to Fremantle. He adds bulk and muscle that they otherwise lack. It's time for the Dockers to bridge the generation gap, both in terms of size and experience in their engine room. Sarong is a brilliant player. He's as hard as a cat's head, but he's 178 centimetres and 83 kilograms. Brayshaw and Omira are both 184 centimetres. Matt Johnson is 193 centimetres and will eventually grow into a frame somewhere north of 90 kilograms. Erasmus is 190 centimetres, again... He will eventually tip the scales around the 90-kilo mark. They have played 11 games each. They are 19 and 20 years old, respectively. How will the Dockers approach the back end of the season now? They would have expected finals. And it looks highly unlikely. Mathematically possible, but the body of work we have seen so far does not suggest they get there. It's disappointing, but it also represents opportunity. A free swing at two months of player development ahead of 2024. What would you do in Frio's shoes? You can have your say on the temperate bedshed text line on 0487-736 or on the open line 1312. Let's have a bit of fun with the editorial today. And thanks to Izuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the Izuzu D Max. Here are four points to four will drive you to work on the ongoing whinge fest going on in England about Alex Carey stumping Johnny Bairstow on day five of the second test at Lords. Point one, clearly England view the right to whinge as a red ball form of communication and not a white ball form. Whiteball whinging would be a one-day thing. We're into day three now and they appear to be waiting for things to take more spin. Their Prime Minister and Piers Morgan are in on the act now. Morgan clearly has made contact with Shane Warne in the afterlife to confirm whether he would have approved. That'll take the debate forward, Piers, no doubt. Point two. Stuart Broad has told Alex Carey that this is what he will be remembered for. Really? Does Broad want to be remembered for hitting the cover off an Ashton spinner a decade ago, being caught at first lip, not walking and being given not out? He let the umpire make the decision, which is pretty much what the Aussies did when Carey threw the stumps down with Bairstow daydreaming well out of his ground. It's pretty much what Ben Duckett did in this test when Mitchell Stark caught him on the boundary in this test but rubbed the ball along the ground trying to break his fall. Broad by name, selective by memory. Point three, Brendan McCullum reckoned he wouldn't be having a beer with the Aussies anytime soon. When it was pointed out to McCullum that he'd actually done what Carey did during his career as a keeper for New Zealand, he spoke of things he had done which he regretted. My advice as an Aussie to Brendan is don't hang upside down holding your breath waiting for the Aussies to regret this. I think the Aussies are pretty comfortable with this, Brendan. And point four, while it's a little painful to see the English appointing themselves as the sole moral arbiters of cricket and doing their lollies over the Bairstow stumping, it's still preferable to having them suck on their lollies and use the spit to shine the ball as they admitted doing the 2005 series in England when they pretty much won by getting the ball to swing a lot more than our bowlers did. The spirit of cricket, 2005, was more like the sweet science of swing bowling. We could have a lot more fun with this. According to England's whinging time frame, there are still two days to go on a turning pitch. But let's move on. And thanks to Isuzu, and you can live your own way in the Isuzu MUX seven-seater, here are four points to four-wheel drive you to work on our two AFL teams this weekend. Point one on West Coast. Kudos to the Eagles for their eight-point loss to St Kilda at the weekend with a team still Stripped back to the bare bones for manpower, but the obvious question to ask the Eagles is this one: If that was possible on Sunday, why hasn't it been possible for the last three months when the Eagles haven't been closer than 40 points to any AFL opponent? And I doubt that a repeat of that effort will get the Eagles that close to Brisbane at the Gabba this weekend. But we still should see a repeat of that effort if. Instead, we get a repeat of the effort against Sydney at the SCG. I fear for Adam Simpson and his coaching tenure. It's AFL footy, boys. Try turning up every week. Point two on West Coast. The AFL awarded draft concessions for North Melbourne last year, two priority picks that North had to trade out. There has been talk of more concessions this year. Why? Not only a North Melbourne ahead of West Coast on the ladder, but by any reasonable measure, their list is better placed for a two years from now. Imagine a midfield of George Wardlaw, Luke Davies, Uniac, Jai Simkin, Will Phillips and Harry Sheezel two years on from now. Verse that up against what is likely to be left of the Eagles engine room. There's no comparison. More than a few AFL clubs would swap a lot for that North Melbourne midfield. North have the coach they want. Alistair Clarkson, and they have plenty of good young cattle. Equalisation is one thing, an armchair ride back into the eight is another. To be clear, if I was West Coast, I would be asking for priority draft picks. And to be equally clear, I wouldn't be expecting to get them, nor should I be, and nor should North Melbourne be expecting to get any more. Point three on Fremantle it's time for the Dockers to step up to the plate in what has been a disappointing season so far. Yes, they lost four key players at the end of 2022. Yes, this is a young list. But it's also a list that shows a few symptoms of getting slightly ahead of itself this year. The slow start when finals were expected, the mid-season rally followed by the loss of three of the last four games after an impressive win against Melbourne. And those three losses included the debacle against Western Sydney in Sydney. We keep hearing about the outstanding young leaders at Fremantle. Maybe it's time they stepped up and led them somewhere meaningful this year. And they need to do it before this season gets any more meaningless than it has been so far. And to clarify that point, I wasn't one of the supreme optimists that had Fremantle surging into the top four this season. I had them plateauing with a young list. But plateauing means holding your ground, not sliding four to six spots further down the ladder. And point four, still on Fremantle, Part of the challenge of holding your ground or improving in a competition like the AFL is having individuals improve. How many Fremantle players can honestly claim they have improved this year? I'll grant them the kids. Jai Amis, terrific. Matt Johnson and Neil Erasmus, impressive. Although Erasmus is not yet having great impact at AFL level and is yet to completely lock down a spot permanently in the best 22. Caleb Sarong. I'll give you Caleb Sarong as an improver. Maybe Luke Jackson. Any others? Will Brady's gone from the AFL back to the waffle. And while Liam Henry's improvement, rapid though it has been in the past fortnight, still needs to be sustained for longer to be claimed as anything significant. Too many Docker individuals have either plateaued or gone slightly backwards. And that's why they are where they are on the ladder, despite a healthy injury list. Again, as I said about West Coast, this is the AFL boys. It's time to get fair income every week. What do you reckon? Have the Poms turned whinging into the long form of the game? Do the Eagles need to turn up more often than once every three months to regain credibility? Have the Dockers gone too far backwards to regard this season as anything other than a bitter disappointment?